The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel can be found at our website, myemmanuel.net. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Eddie. Thank you, band. It's great to worship with you this morning. I want to just add my amen to what Pastor Jeff shared in the welcome. We would love for you to be a part of our life groups as we get started this fall. It's great to have a a large group worship experience, but it's also great to have a life group where you can sit down, discuss God's Word together, ask questions, have people who can pray for you. And if you haven't yet got into a life group, stop at the Welcome Center, pick up a life group guide. We got them like almost every day of the week, all different times, geared just for you. I also want to add to those announcements in your bulletin. You'll find an insert about Tim Burton of Wall Builders. He's going to be our special guest speaker on September 25th, and you're going to want to hear Tim. I first became uh, familiar with Wall Builders when his father uh, uh, led the organization. And what they do is they connect our faith with our American history. And he told me things that I'd never heard about in our American history, things that had been left out of my history education. And if I have some gaps, then I want you to know that uh, kids today in school have bigger gaps, intentional gaps, that they are not learning about when it comes to both our faith and our history. When you hear Tim, you're going to want to go like, I, I, I could listen to that guy more. I'd, I'd like to hear him more often. And you can, but if you wait until Sunday, it'll be too late. He's going to be in town. If you take that bulletin insert and you look on the back bottom, he's going to be in town speaking Friday night, Saturday morning at the Bighorn Resort. Uh, and it's sponsored by the Big Sky Forum, and uh, I think there's some cost involved, like 10 bucks to go Friday night and Saturday morning. Well worth it, and uh, don't miss him here. It doesn't cost you 10 bucks to come here. Well worth it. Come here and uh, pay attention to that, and I hope that you'll be a part of that. I've been teaching on faith, and in our study of faith, we came to the part of the story where Jesus returns to his hometown for the first time since he was really involved in his public ministry. And so in his public ministry, word is getting out that the, that the dead are raised, that the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. He's fed the 5,000 with just loaves and fishes. He's walked on water. All of this word is getting out about him. And as it gets around, it gets back to his hometown of Nazareth. And when it gets back to Nazareth, they say, wait, who, what? Because they know Jesus and his family. They're like, well, Joseph and Mary lived down the street from me, and my kids went to school with Jesus and his brothers and sisters. I, there's, he can't be the Messiah. And one of the gospel writers would tell us that Jesus did not do very many miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. 
He's in town, he's in Nazareth, and it's over a Sabbath, and so they politely ask him to be their speaker at the synagogue that Sabbath. And as he speaks to them, he chooses two Old Testament stories to try to expose to them both their unbelief and their unrepentant pride. And we've been discussing these. Two weeks ago, we talked about the first story that Jesus uh, used. It's the story of the widow of Zarephath. The, The widow of Zarephath is the story of Elijah during a time when he's pronounced there'll be no rain. There's no rain for three and a half years. He is taken care of. God sends him to this widow. Now, uh, Zarephath is not in Israel. This widow is a Gentile. She lives outside of his home nation. And the parallels of Jesus talking about his hometown and Elijah couldn't find a, a faithful widow in his home nation are what Jesus is trying to point out. And so even though there are other widows in Israel, he leaves Israel and he goes to Zarephath. And the way the story goes is that when he shows up, he asks the widow if she would make him something to eat. And she says, I can't do it. She says, I've got a little oil. I got a little flour. I'm going to, I'm going to fry this uh, flour in this oil. My son and I are going to eat it. It's the last that we have. And then after that, well, well, we're going to starve to death. And Elijah says, if you will make me something to eat first, you won't run out of oil or flour. And literally, inexplicably, by faith, she, she does it. And she makes him something to eat first, and she goes back into the kitchen knowing that there's no more oil and no more flour, and there's a little more oil and a little more flour. And every day that Elijah's there, we you can guess it's probably six or nine months, every day the miracle repeats itself every day, every day. A little oil, a little flour, because she serves Elijah first. But the story's not over. Because God doesn't just want to teach her how to have faith in everyday stuff like oil and flour. The Bible says that her son dies. And she comes to Elijah and she says, my son is dead. And he takes the son. He takes him into his own bedroom. And there is a, there's a resurrection miracle that takes place. We believe in resurrections. Amen? Amen. <laughs> we believe in resurrections. Amen? Amen. That's, that's the way it should sound like that. So, uh, so he brings this child back to the widow of Zarephath, and when he does, she says, now I know. See, it's a, it's a different faith. This faith for oil and flour, this is everyday faith. This is, this is temporal stuff. This is earthly stuff faith. This over here, this is saving faith. She says, now I know that God speaks the truth. I know who he is, and it is her saving experience. Well, Jesus uses this story to, to expose the unbelief of his hometown, Nazareth. But there's a second story that he uses. He not only uses the story of the widow of Zarephath, not an Israelite, but a Gentile. The second story is about Naaman the Syrian. Not an Israelite, a Syrian, a Gentile. And this is a story about pride. Now, Nazareth has a problem. Their problem is pride, and it's an unrepentant pride. So he uses the story of a very prideful man who comes to the place where he he completely is submissive, completely surrendered to who God is. And he tells the story of Naaman, who has everything. He's a great man in in every area of life except 
that he's a leper. And when the Bible talks about leprosy, it's a symbol of sin. And so he comes to Elisha, and Elisha says, yeah, I'll heal you. Go down to the Jordan, dip seven times, and you'll be healed. And it exposes Naaman's pride. Naaman's like, why would I go down to a muddy irrigation ditch like the Jordan and dip down when I got beautiful spring-fed clear creeks back in Syria? Why, why would I do that? And, and his pride is exposed, and he won't do it. And finally, his servants go like, man, if you think about it, you got leprosy. This is a simple thing to do. All he said was wash and be clean. And that is a picture of salvation. It's a picture of baptism like we just saw this morning. And so he does that, and it's a picture of him swallowing his pride, which, which the hometown of Jesus, Nazareth, won't do. And it's a picture of another one who's outside of Israel who comes to salvation. Well, you know, each week I, I kind of give my sermons titles. I got stuck this week, so I've given you three titles for one sermon. It could be called Salvation is Not for Sale. It could be called A Content Faith in a greedy world, or it could be called a pagan finds faith and a religious man chooses paganism because there's a second act to the story of Naaman. I want you to find with me in your Bibles 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, Jesus alludes to this story. The first half of the story is about Naaman's pride, and it ends in his healing. This week's story picks up right where last week's story left off. Let me read the last verse that we looked at last week. Naaman finally is going to do what Elisha has instructed him to do. Verse 14, 2 Kings verse 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 14. So Naaman went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored. I pointed this out to you last week. His leprosy is healed. It's cleansed. But that's only part of the miracle. His leprosy is cleansed, but the flesh is restored like that of a little child. Naaman was, uh, he was a man of war in a time when it was axes and clubs and knives and swords. Uh, he, man, this guy had scars on him. And, uh, and he's an older guy. So he's got age spots, and he's got wrinkles. He's got, well, do I really have to go further? And when he comes up out of the Jordan, the muddy Jordan, he comes up, and his skin, the leprosy's gone. That's part of the miracle. But part of the miracle is his skin is perfect. And he realizes this is something big. And so... What happens? Now we start in verse 15. We didn't get this far last week. In verse 15, then Naaman returned to the man of God, he and all of his company. Remember, he's got this big entourage. He's got mules and he's got silver and he's got gold and he's got Armani suits and he's got his own soldiers and he's got his own chariots. I mean, he's traveling with a great big company. He and all of his company, they came and they stood before Elisha. The first time he came, Elisha didn't even come out of the house. He sent his servant to tell him to go dip in the Jordan seven times. This time, Elisha comes out. Here's what Naaman says. He says, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth except the God of Israel. Man, this sounds just like the widow of Zarephath, doesn't it? When her son is raised, she goes, Now I 
know that God speaks the truth. It's her moment of confession. It's her moment of salvation. Here's Naaman. He comes up out of the Jordan. His skin is perfect. He goes back to Elisha and he goes, now I know there's no other God except this God in Israel. Just like the widow of Zarephath, Naaman of Syria is truly saved. One day when you and I get to heaven, we're going to meet Naaman, and we're going to meet the widow of Zarephath, and we're going to find out what her name is. We don't know her name. We just call her the widow. We're going to find her there. These are both not Israelites, not Jews, not Hebrews, Gentiles in the Old Testament who are saved. One of the evidences of true salvation is generosity. So Naaman says, Behold, I know there's no other God in all the earth but Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. Remember what he brought? He brought all of this stuff. In fact, I told you last week, he had 900 pounds of gold. In, in modern spot price, $25 million just in the gold alone. He's brought all of this, and he wants to give it to Elisha, and he says, now I want you to accept this present from the Lord. Now, one of the evidences of salvation is that God changes us, and he changes a lot of things about us. The Apostle Paul says, the things that I used to want to do, I don't want to do anymore, and the things that I never wanted to do, that's what I want to do. One of the things that God changes about you is your wanter. Your your heart is changed. He would go in another place and he said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Everything has changed. Everything's become new. So this this heart regeneration, the salvation that God does in our lives, changes us from who we used to be. And one of the evidences of that is that since we now know that God has given me everything, he gave me the forgiveness of sins. He took away my guilt. He's taken away my eternal destiny, which was hell, and he's now made it heaven. He's adopted me into his family. He's given me brothers and sisters in Christ. He's given me his Holy Spirit to indwell me. So for the first time, I actually have the ability to overcome temptation. He's given me, he's given me, he's given me. He gave me the life of his son who shed his blood for me. When we recognize that God has given everything to us, all his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, then we naturally know we can give our lives away like the Jesus that we have received because God's going to take care of us completely. There's no such thing as a born-again, spirit-filled, stingy Christian. You can be born again and stingy for a season, but the Holy Spirit of God will whoop you good because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If you can be stingy for a long period of time, you should check your salvation. Because there's no such thing as a true believer who can live in that selfishness. And Naaman is the picture of this. In fact, we read this back and forth. He wants to give it to him. And and the way it goes is in verse 16, But Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I'll receive nothing from you. And he urged him to take it. So this this is who Naaman is. He is a changed person. 
There's also something that we need to stop and look at about Elisha. Just as we see the true evidence of salvation in Naaman, we see that Elisha is a true messenger of God. And one of the evidences that you can use as you're trying to ascertain who a true messenger of God is, is that the true messenger of God trusts God to meet their earthly needs. Elisha is not going to take anything from Naaman. He doesn't want to take anything from Naaman for a couple of reasons. Number one, he knows God's going to meet all of his needs. Number two, he doesn't want to get salvation and money all tangled up together where the gospel is tainted and corrupted by what the world wants. And because he's a true messenger of God, he's not worried about paying his bills. God's going to take care of that for him. And so he says no. And, it, and we read it in one sentence. Naaman urged him and he said no. That's all we read. But it went like, hey, I brought all this stuff and I brought it for you. And look, my life has changed. Have you seen my skin? It's perfect. And won't you take this? And you could take a little bit of it. If you don't have to take it all, you can take a little bit of it. But Elisha says, nope, not going to do it. No, thank you very much. No, don't need it. God meets all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Not going to do it. And they, they'll, they did this back and forth in a, probably a very typical Middle Eastern fashion. It could have lasted for 30 minutes or an hour. And finally, Naaman is convinced that Elisha isn't going to take anything. Now, Elisha isn't the only guy in the Bible to do this. In Acts chapter 8, Peter is in Samaria, and uh, he's preaching the gospel. He's doing some miracles. And a guy named Simon the Magician sees the miracles, and he comes to Peter, and he offers him money. He says, teach me how to do these tricks. And Peter says, your money perish with you. And actually, Simon's blind for a short time. He strikes him with blindness. And Peter wants to make sure that everybody knows, you can't buy salvation. It's the messenger's job to make sure that everybody who hears the gospel knows that it's not tainted with the money. If you came one Sunday and I said, and I, and I preached the gospel, and I gave an invitation and said, I want you to come forward this morning, and if you'll come forward with $50, you can be saved. You should get upset if that happens. And if I did that twice, I shouldn't be the pastor. If I did it once, I shouldn't be the pastor. Right? And yet... And yet, you can go on your television as soon as you get home. You could turn it on. You can find a religious station. And there'll be somebody there who is peddling the gospel for profit. And you need to know that's an evidence that they're not a true messenger of the gospel. It doesn't change the message of the gospel. It just tells you... That's not a true messenger of the gospel. And you've seen him, and so am I. They look into the camera, and they tell you, I will send this prayer cloth to you, and you lay it on the part of your body that needs healing. I will send it to you if you will just send me all of your savings or $50 a month for the rest of your life. Here's the number down on the screen. He says with, with diamonds and Rolex watch, right? So, so listen, children of God. We have something here that tells us the, the real child of God, there's an evidence you can see in his life. It's his generosity. Can't be an ongoing, everyday, spirit-filled child of God and be stingy. But there's something about the messenger of God, the pastor, the preacher, 
the evangelist, the prophet, he can't be just taking everybody's money and connecting that to the gospel. And so we find all of this right there. Now, there's a new guy in the story. He's not actually new to the story. When Elisha sent his servant out to tell Naaman to go to the Jordan and be baptized, his his servant is named Gehazi. But now he's named. So finally, uh, finally Naaman knows Elisha's not going to take any money. So Elisha says to him, verse 19, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from Elisha a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, he said, see, my master has spared this Naaman, this Syrian. He's not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I'm going to run after him, and I'm going to get some of it. Now, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Gehazi. I I want you to understand this part of the story. Gehazi's not a butler. He's not a servant of Elisha like an attendant. He He is a prophet in waiting. He's He's supposed to be the next man of God for Israel. The, 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 the lineage goes like this. Elijah first. Elijah, wow, there's just nobody like him. He's the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses. He, he calls down fire. He marches into Ahab and Jezebel and says, it's not going to rain until I say so. This is Elijah. But God tells Elijah who the next man of God, the next prophet's going to be, and it's going to be Elisha. And so Elisha is now the servant of Elijah in that sense. He's going to be the next prophet. In fact, there's a story that's told about Elisha and Elijah. Elisha knows that Elijah is going to go to heaven. And he wants to be there when it happens. And Elijah's trying to ditch him. He's trying to get rid of him. He says, go, go over here and get some bread, get some milk. I'll send you to town. He's trying to ditch him. But Elisha will not leave him. And he's bugging Elijah. And finally, Elijah turns around and says, what do you want? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. This is a guy that calls fire down from heaven, a double portion. And Elijah says, ooh, you asked a hard thing. He said, but if you're with me when I go to heaven, you'll get it. Well, they come to a, they come to a little river, a creek, and Elijah's got his outer coat, a cloak, a mantle. And he takes it off, and he smacks the water, and the water divides. And they walk across on dry land. And when they get to the other side, God sends a fiery Uber. (laughs) Kind of like, right? A fiery chariot. Horses of fire, chariot of fire to to collect Elijah. And And the whirlwind and the fire and the earthquake knock Elisha down to one side and strip Elijah of his mantle on the other side. And Elijah goes to heaven without dying. Only other guy was Enoch. He goes to heaven in all of that. And when it's all the dust is settled and the smoke is gone and the, and the fiery chariot's gone, Elisha gets up and there's Elijah's mantle. This is where we get the phrase, you pass the mantle. He takes this mantle and he walks back to the river and he takes it and he smacks the water. And he says, where's the God of Elijah? And the water opens up. And Elisha gets a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. In fact, when you read your Bible, you will discover that Elisha does twice as many miracles as Elijah. And the next man of God 
is supposed to be Gehazi. Think about this. Think about this lineage. Elijah, Elisha, he's supposed to be the next guy. Gehazi's the next guy. He's in training, waiting to be the man of God, the voice of God, the prophet of God. But that's not what happens. So, verse 21, Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw that someone was running after him, he got down off the chariot to meet him, and he says, everything okay? This is like, uh, this is like you, you just talked to your wife. She's sending you to the store. You're on your way to the store. The phone rings. And she goes, oh, yeah, we need milk too, right? It's, it's like he, something's wrong. You don't get the call that fast. So he says, is everything okay? Now Gehazi's got to come up with a story. So he says, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, everything's okay. But my master sent me. It's a big old fat lie. My master said me to say that there have just come from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets, and they are so poor, they don't have anything, so please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And because Naaman's life has been changed and his heart has been changed, he says, oh, don't just take one, except two, because he's got the generosity of the Holy Spirit of God living in him now. And he urged him, and so he didn't just give it to him, but he, he tied up two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of clothing, and he put them on his servants, and they carried them. So Gehazi didn't even have to carry them. But when they came to the hill, Gehazi didn't want Elisha to see, he took them from their hand, and he put them in his house, and he sent them in on their way, and they departed. And now we discover that Gehazi's not really a true believer. Gehazi's never going to be the prophet of God. He's never going to be the messenger of the Lord. He's merely a person using religion for his own gain. Just like these that we described, we discover 3,000 years ago, there were those doing it. Gehazi didn't have a television program. He didn't have an 800 number that you could send money to but man, he was sure going to get some of Naaman's. And he is not connected in any way, shape, or form to the living God of Israel. Even Naaman's got more faith than Gehazi. And Gehazi shows up. The next part of the conversation is like the conversation that a parent has with the teenager when they miss curfew. So verse 25, Gehazi went in and he stood before his master. And Elisha said, where have you been, Gehazi? Uh... No, I don't know. Nowhere in particular. Not doing anything. And Elisha said, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Wow. Now we learn something here, that God has supernaturally given Elisha the vision to see exactly what happened between Naaman and Gehazi, even though he wasn't physically there. It's, it's another miracle. But more than that, don't miss this phrase, did not my heart go? It wasn't that he just saw it with his eyes. Gehazi broke Elisha's heart. Elisha's sick about it. He, he can't believe that this one that he's invested in has turned his back on all of that. And then underlined in my Bible is what Elisha says next. He says, did not my heart go when the man of the, uh, turned from his chariot to meet you? Here's what he says. Was it a time to accept money and garments? That, that's what he got. But then 
Elisha's going to expand on that. Or olive orchards or vineyards or sheep or oxen or male servants or female servants. Is this the time to do it? It's It's a rhetoric question. Is this the time to accept money? Elisha's already answered it with his own actions. No. No, Naaman, I'm not going to take it. We're not going to have any confusion between the gospel, which is free by grace for every person who will receive it. Amen? We're not going to to mess that up and and confuse anybody with money. This isn't the time to take that. Now, notice what Elisha did not say. He did not say it was evil to make money. He didn't say that. The the, the God of the universe knows that you have needs. This is what Jesus himself says. He says, God knows your need. He goes on to say, and he knows all the needs of all the creatures on the planet. He says, look at the sparrows. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't harvest, they don't have silos, they don't have barns, they don't store up, and yet God cares for every one of them. And then he says to you, aren't you worth much more than a sparrow? The hairs on your head are numbered. God knows your needs. In fact, Paul would say in Philippians 4, God's going to meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Elisha knows this. He knows that you live in inflationary times. God knows that. I read this week that the average cost over last year because of inflation is $3,400 a person. So it's, it's going, to cost, going to cost you $3,400 more to do the same things you did last year, this year, and then however many people live in your household, you multiply that times $3,400. Wow. Boy, so it's going to be tight for some of us. Did that take God by surprise? Is he now going to say, oh, I can, I'll meet all your needs according to my riches and glory unless inflation's really high? No. So God's going to meet your needs. It's not evil to earn money. You've got to have some money, pay the rent, pay the mortgage, get some groceries to fill up the tank. What he wants you to get is, here's the question, is this the time to do that, Gehazi? No. We separate salvation and ministry from that which we just need to do normally. It's really important that you get this. And so... Elisha just asked the question, is this the time? The answer is no. But it reveals something bigger. It reveals something about the heart of Gehazi. Gehazi's heart hasn't had the change that Naaman's heart had. In fact, what Gehazi didn't want, he didn't want the relationship with God that Elisha had. What Gehazi wanted was everything that Naaman had. Remember? First verses of chapter 5. Naaman was famous, he was great, he was brave, probably handsome, beautiful wife. King loved him, his servants loved him, he's rich. That's what Gehazi wanted. He doesn't doesn't want to walk with Jesus. He doesn't want to walk in holiness. He wants what Naaman has. And here's how the story ends. He gets what Naaman had. Verse 27, Elisha says, This is not a time to take money, but because you have, therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. 
And he went out from Elisha's presence, a leper like snow. Leprosy uh, dries up your skin, turns it white, white as snow. That's what he's talking about there. That's what Gehazi gets. It's, it's a powerful passage. It's a powerful passage, and I think that the reason that God, uh, Jesus, uses it in Nazareth to expose na- the, the sins of Nazareth is that you can be religious and lost. Gehazi's the, he's the next prophet in waiting. It's the same testimony as the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, I was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. No one was more religious than me. But when God strikes him down on the road to Damascus, he has to say, who are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. There's a difference between religion and a relationship with God. And this exposes that. And Naaman, who didn't have a relationship with God, now has one. And Gehazi, who's just religious, it's exposed because he wants the stuff of the world, not what God has to offer. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. You're here this morning, and I would be amiss if I didn't ask you to just do a little self-evaluation. Is it possible that what you have is just religion? I mean, you go to church, clearly you're here this morning. You might read your Bible, you might be in a life group, but have you ever experienced the life-changing power of of the shed blood of Jesus Christ? You say, how do I know? Well, one of the ways you know is that once Christ Jesus gives you all of him, you want to give yourself away. Your time, your money, your effort, your talent, your abilities, you want to give it away for the kingdom. And And you come to the place where you realize you can never give as much as God's given you and you're changed. If you still find yourself living in a selfish stinginess, maybe, just maybe, you've never really received Christ. What I'm sharing with you this morning has nothing to do with what goes in the offering plate. It has nothing to do with money at all. You can give your life to Christ simply by saying, I realize that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart and life. And the best that I know how, I'll live for you the rest of my life. And the Bible says whoever does that is saved. Everything changes. Maybe you're here this morning and you know for certain that you're saved, but you've been just falling into the trap of, man, what are we going to do with inflation? What are we going to do? We're not going to have enough money. And this morning, the Holy Spirit's reminded you, God's got you. He's got this. He can meet the needs of the widow of Zarephath. He can cleanse the leper Naaman. He can take care of you. Jesus would say in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve God and money both. You'll love the one and hate the other. You can't have two masters. Don't let money be your master. Money's a great servant but a terrible master. So this morning, decide, my life, all my possessions, I belong to Jesus. And go out and live with the confidence that Elisha has, that he's going to meet all of your needs. Father, you know every person here. You know the journey that brings us here. 
Father, I, I don't know a person's salvation. Only that person and you know that. But I pray this morning that if there are some here that have never given their lives to you, that today's that day. And I pray that you would release them from that old, sinful, selfish heart and you would put in them the new heart, a new creation, and make them the person that just, like Jesus, gives their lives away. And Father, we pray that our ministry here at Emmanuel is never tainted or corrupted by money. That what we give in our tithes and offerings is given uh, for the purpose of reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. And with just good accountability, we, like Elisha, can trust you to meet our needs. And Father, we pray that we would be servants who live by faith. And we recognize now that this is what it looks like. Father, thank you for the story of Naaman. Thank you for the story of the widow of Zarephath. We look forward to meeting them with all the saints in heaven, in your glory, one day. And we pray all of this in the most holy and precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, uh, this story continues because uh, Elisha's got to get a new servant. So he gets a new servant who, who cannot see the invisible. And the next story about Elisha and his servant is about spiritual warfare. It's about the invisible spiritual warfare that happens around every believer. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Will you stand with us? Let's sing to the Lord together. And you are good, you are good, when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love, on this play for all to see. You are love. You are light when the darkness closes in. You are hope. You are... Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at myemmanuel.net.